0: Welcome to Food Forward, Nourishing the World, with your host, Alan Weiner. Over the next hour, you'll explore the innovative and ever-evolving solutions in everyone's favorite topic, food. Now, here's your host, Alan.
1: Greetings, everybody, from the Sunshine State. My name is Alan Weiner, and I'm your host for Food Forward, Nourishing the World, here on Voice America. Each week, we will explore the innovations and trends shaping the future of food. From sustainability to technology, we'll uncover the flavors of tomorrow. In plain speaking, we will discuss all things food, some crucial to our well-being and some just for fun. Now, today, we're diving into the irresistible world of chocolate. We have a special treat for you. A team of artisan chocolatiers from Jacksonville Beach who craft heavenly creations and from across the pond in London, innovators who are redefining what we know as chocolate with a twist. It's not even made from cacao. So whether you're a traditional chocolate lover or open to an entirely new flavor experience, this episode is a feast for your ears and imagination. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you're a regular listener, then welcome back. If you miss an episode of Food Forward Nourishing the World, it will be available after airing on my Voice America show page and throughout all leading podcast platforms. Think of it as radio on demand. The audience is crucial to the future of Food Forward. I want to hear from you. You can email me at alan, A-L-L-E-N, at foodforwardradio.com, and or follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And pretty soon, we'll be having a beautiful webpage for you to explore. Welcome to Food Forward, Nourishing the World, here on Voice America. Chocolate. It's a treat that transcends cultures, ages, and tastes. But behind every bite is a story of passion, craft, and innovation. Today, we're journeying to the heart of Jacksonville Beach, Florida, to uncover one such story. I'm thrilled to welcome Tucker Wan and Jess Diebel. I get that right? Diebel. Diebel. <laughs> the dynamic duo behind new Chocolate. Make sure you. Pardon? McKenu. McKenu. <laughs> My Maury is not as good as it used to be. From bean to bar, they've been redefining the art of chocolate making blending tradition with a touch of modern flair. Let's dive into your journey, the challenges you faced, and the sweet success you've fake you savored along the way. Pardon me. Tucker, Jess, welcome to Food Core here oh, So What inspired you originally to delve into the world of chocolate? Now I know Tucker, you were working with toffee before, and you, what what drove you to chocolate?
2: Yeah, so um, my interest and journey probably started childhood. My mom and I share a love for for chocolate, Um, but I decided to take a intentional break from my previous career, which was in psychology, and started working for a local company, a coffee roaster. And um, started to kind of get back into some passion ideas around chocolate and wine and um, the parallels of coffee and cacao. And started my own little side business called Deep Dive Chocolates, which focused on truffles and fruits and bark. And uh, through conversations with the owner of a local coffee roaster, Tucker and I met around our shared interests of origination of ingredients, ingredients. transparency and trade and what what came to be a vacancy in the bean devar chocolate making which is northeast
1: Florida right yeah but you didn't wake up one day and say okay let's go in the back room and make chocolate it was a a lengthy journey that included a tremendous amount of learning and discovery right mm-hmm. yeah
2: yeah yeah over I you know the business kind of developed over the span of at least two years initially before we formed the LLC of McKinley Chocolate, uh, a lot of um, hands-on practice. attendance at a couple of chocolate conferences out in Seattle, roasty workshops, uh, and kind of hands-on work with a local, uh, a North Carolina-based expert, the dairy chocolate, um, and a, eventually a trip down to Belize with other chocolate makers from curly U.S to learn more about harvesting, the farming, what happened that origin before everything gets to the actual makers in the States.
1: Yeah. So what was a pivotal moment that you said, yeah, yeah, this is for us. We're going to go forward and do this.
3: Um, I remember when well, we were in Belize, and we were, on, we were at a cacao farm touring. And it was towards the end of the trip. Uh, I like, remember we were just I kind of looked at each other like, we do this. We were meeting other uh, chocolate bakers. Uh, Ritual Chocolate was there. Uh, that's chocolate in uh, Arizona and Maverick, uh, St. Louis or Ohio, up there. Yeah. Um, and so we were hearing their stories and their trials and tribulations, and we were picking their brains about uh, brick and mortar versus manufacturing uh, space. That uh, yeah, was. Is hearing their passion, everything that goes into chocolate making, Uh, and I just was like, "Can we bring this to Jacksonville?" And like, "Yeah, we can." So that was kind of a pivotal moment for that.
1: Now, being a super, super novice chocolate maker, I I think that quite a few chocolate artisans. you know, get their chocolate in, ready to temper and to make into molds or whatever they're going to do. But you did a a whole process from soup to nuts. I mean, why would you undertake such a laborious effort?
3: I think, well, we both have an answer to that. But um, I think just taking food to the furthest um, degree of origin and authenticity uh, to be authentic uh, is very important for both Jess and myself. And I think mean, knowing where <laughs> your food's coming from is very important. And so, well, chocolate comes from cacao and my, so that uh, comes from the farms. And telling the story about the farms and the different origins and the different cultures of where the different things are coming from, I think is very important for us and Boo.
2: Yeah. And I think for me, it, just to add on to that, there's a, uh, an educational component and awareness that is one of my favorite parts of this business when people can connect the uh, the childhood memories and the deliciousness of chocolate to an actual plant and people and culture. And I think, like, I love it when people come in and I can make all of those connections.
3: So, yeah. And I think it is very important now to, to, to show that the is just not on the grocery uh, counter wrapped in a nice uh, foil wrapper and, like, and like where, how that got there, where that came from, all the different people that touched it along the way is very important to us.
1: So I've talked to a lot of some of the newer chocolate companies here and, and other countries, and what I've noticed that they're trying to get away from is the disconnect, between the chocolate growers in places you know around the world, um, Peru, Ecuador, etc., how do you maintain relationships with the growers so that you know you know exactly what you're getting, and that you can have a supply chain that is you know pretty constant?
2: Yeah. So our original uh, connection, as far as larger provider, is a company called Uncommon Cacao. Um, that, berkeley uh yeah currently in Denver yeah okay. yes uh, that is the company that we went down to our first origin trip with um, they kind of organized these chocolate maker trips and their their mission and vision is what you just spoke to really highlighting that that deep connection and awareness and education and transparency from farm to table um so that was our original connection to that concept and practice like in like in a day-to-day practice, ultimately, we we hope to make as many direct trade contacts as possible, um, getting to know the farmers, the farms, the the regions, uh, the harvest processes, seasons, all of it. That does take time and money. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, but we Tucker uh, has gone on a couple origin trips, Costa Rica and Uganda, and it's really started to make those connections.
1: Yeah. So, how hands are hands on are you? in the day-to-day process. I know that you have a, a small staff. Do you train them or are you involved in the, you know, the fermenting process, the, uh, the shelling of the bean, uh, taking care of the cascara that, that kind of goes by? Um, with running the business, how much can you do day-to-day?
2: So we have a great staff and uh, they do an excellent job with processes and shop. but we are also involved in all of it as well. So the fermentation happens at origin, so uh, the part that we're involved in is after we receive the fermented and dried beans, we sort, roast, uh, husk, winnow, melanger, the grinding refining process, and then temper. So in-house, we do about
1: five of those steps. Yeah. So when people come into your shop who are not used to going into an artisan chocolate shop. Used to buying their chocolate at, you know, the grocery store or Whole Foods or, you know, mail order. What, what's their reaction when they sample for the first time? Excitement?
3: Yeah. <laughs> always kind of blown away that chocolate could have so many different flavor notes and that is, is very multi dimensional. Um, and to see, like, it takes five days to make, um, that chocolate and the melanger and to realize that there's a lot of time and energy that goes through just on our end. Like, like you when know, we talk about what's going on, the farmers and the origins and the fermentation process is very in depth thing. Um, there's just a lot that goes into just creating that that mold bar that they're getting, and and to just talk about the value of that, I think is really important. That is. Uh, it's not just a, an item that is mass produced. Uh, yes, we want to try to bring it to scale. We're, we're still a very small shop, but it is very hands on here.
1: So, um, what kind of word have you used? What kind of marketing have you used to get the word out? I mean, you know, this is not the most gourmet. You know reason of the country and to get you know some marketing done for a, a product as special as you have what what route have you taken to, to get the word out
2: community engagement is the, i'd say first and uh, will always be a priority you know we opened in september of 2020 in the midst of the pandemic and having not had the community that we have we would not be here today we're about to hit our three-year anniversary of. So I think word of mouth has been uh, such a beautiful aspect as to how, we, how we've developed and connected to our community. Um, you know, I think uh, one of our biggest growth edges at this point as owners is becoming like the in curse of the salespeople and going to other chefs and local businesses and really uh, showcasing what we can do here versus staying in the retail
3: space that we've provided as well. Are there are there local chefs that are using your chocolate in their desserts and other dishes? Southern Ground, uh, they're using in some of their pastry programs. The the blueberry bakery. Yeah, I would say Southern Ground's yeah. They're kind mm-hmm. of our baby's client right now for that. Well,
1: we're going to do this in two parts. So for part one, I'd like to thank Juan Tucker and just Dybold for for giving <laughs> us uh, for giving us some some background. And we're going to come back later in the show, talk a little bit more about chocolate itself. And we want to also talk more about your shop and how people can find you and get your chocolate. We'll be back after this message.
0: Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice
1: America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
4: From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger in what goes up Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time.
1: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: back to food forward with alan weiner have a question for alan or his guests join us on the show at 866-472-5791 that's 866-472-5791 now back to the show
1: okay we are back to learn a little bit more about chocolate with jess and tucker i got that right from Mookin... McKenu. McKenu. <laughs> you know, I need a trip... It's a to... tough one. It, it is. I learned everything about Maori that I know from watching a TV show called 800 Words. Really? Which was set in New Zealand. And um, that's the extent of my knowledge. Yes. So I'm <laughs> trying to put that together. So previously, we talked about your journey and, and history of, of how you kind of came up with this in your area. So I know that you... Use primarily 70%. We do. So, people, when they go into a store, they see everything from 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 95%. Can you kind of demystify exactly what that means?
2: Yeah, so this percentage of the cacao, the chocolate that's produced, is a result of a ratio of the ingredients that are going in. Um, that means cacao solids and added sugar. And then if we're going into a lower percentage, milk solids. So in-house, we definitely wanted to do a dark chocolate um, as our base to offer to our local community, but one that wasn't too, um, too high where it could potentially turn people off and it was still exposure to a darker chocolate. So for us, 70 was a really nice um, approachable percentage to dive into this well. Uh,
1: so I've, I've read about health benefits of chocolate. Does that play a part in the percentages? Uh, Does a higher percentage give greater health benefits? Um, What's the relationship between the two?
2: Well, higher percentage means a lower sugar content. So if we're looking at the the kind of receiving the highest amount of um, the anti inflammatory properties, for example, of cacao, we want more of those nips in there. So the higher the percentage, the the, the more opportunity to, to receive that. Yeah. Boom.
1: Yeah. So giant companies like Hershey's and Nestle's and Mars, um, they don't put the percentages obviously on every candy bar. What what generally you know are they, or do they not even pay attention to that?
2: Remember, right. I believe that for anything to be called chocolate it has to have at least thirty five percent. So that's ten percent. There's a very low percentage for something to be called officially chocolate by for the the, regu- the regulatory agencies, um, but it, for those mass produced options, that you're right, it is not indicated
1: on the packaging, right? Yeah. Now, I'm not sure because I haven't spent enough time looking around. Do you offer milk chocolate?
3: Uh, no, we do not. We have a milk chocolate toffee. We just still make that in the house, and if we s- we have played around with it. Mm-hmm. We just haven't the right recipe ratio yeah
1: so beyond the percentages if i'm looking at a label what am i paying attention to in terms of you know uh, extra ingredients natural flavors nuts fruits i mean what am i looking for to ensure that i have a high quality product
3: um i would say you're looking at it's it's like for us, we have three ingredients, the sugar, the cocoa butter, and the nibs. So anything, and then you have inclusion bars and that has the toffee pecans, but I would say just anything with uh, low ingredients, like, so maybe avoiding the uh, soy less thing or some other um, additives that kind of help with the shelf life, but uh, if it's tempered well, it should have a very high shelf life.
1: Yeah, hmm. interesting. So in your chocolate making, is there a difference in the process um, based on the, the cocoa beans that you get where they're from? <laughs>
3: yes, um, very much so. Um, the roasting will highlight different uh, attributes that are noted for the beans. So, uh, if we want more fruity, robust, like that will kind of dictate how we roast the beans.
1: Interesting. Um, And how do you choose what to put with your chocolate in terms of fruits and nuts? Is there a particular you know process to
5: it?
2: Well, we keep a pretty tight uh, lineup for what we offer in-house currently with the holidays approaching that will expand, um, but we, uh, we do a single-origin lineup that typically is four to five origins at a time, all at 70%. And then for um, options that are produced in-house that have inclusion ingredients like sea salt or toffee or pecans, we do produce that kind of as needed. With uh, with definitely definite consideration for the chocolate flavor profile and what we're putting on top,
1: yeah. So my on-site producer has handed me a question, which I think is a great one. So, what creates the differences between the beans from different origins? And I I know from our personal experience, having learned chocolate making in Peru, we learned pretty quickly the difference between beans from Peru and Ecuador, for example. So. What are the difference in the beans from different origins? Yes,
2: yeah, so if you think about it like wine, we're looking at the, ter- at the terroir and its impact. So we're looking at altitude, soil content, uh, interpropping in the area, varietal of bean, um, time of harvest.
3: Fermentation.
2: Fermentation, drying process, shade grow, side grow,
1: things like that. Very interesting. Yeah. So outside of your road, Tell me some great chocolate that you've had in your life.
2: Well, uh, I mean, there's so many. We've been to the chocolate conference in Seattle a number of times. And uh, with that type of experience, you have the opportunity to check to try all over the world. Uh, Vietnam stands out for me. Hmm. Um, I feel like there was a new producer from Indonesia recently.
6: Um,
3: I just remember, uh, uh, yeah, trying, but uh, there's a shop in New Orleans, that I had this, I like, deconstructed s'more. Okay. That was just like, blew my mind with the chocolate. And, um, so those are kind of fun experiences that really uh, make, give me the passion to treat this, to intentionally give that to someone else.
1: Interesting. Um, are there any? Oh, what about um, organic beans? That's a good question. And also, GMO. Um, obviously, we want to avoid GMO. How much of the beans out
3: there are actually GMO and organic? I haven't found. I'm sure there might be a GMO varietal of cacao, but from where we're buying uh, in the, the small farms, I have not seen yeah. that. And the organic
2: certification. I'd see a majority of our beans do have that certification. But that's always kind of a larger conversation within um, the realm of the cost of the certification, the traditional farming practices, and whether these small folder farms can actually get to a point where they can afford it, when they might already be following procedures that have them in place that would qualify them for that certification. So it's a pretty dynamic conversation.
1: Most important part of the conversation, how can people get your chocolate? First, obviously, a visit to Jacksonville. For sure. But if you can't make it to Jacksonville, tell us how, tell everybody how you can get your chocolate. and yeah, check us
2: out online. We're our, we have a fully active website where you can actually purchase from and see our story and pictures from travels and all of our products. And we ship from the site. Um, but please come in if you can. <laughs> tell us the website. www.McKennyChocolate.com
3: It's M-A-K-C-N-U Chocolate. Uh, so Makenyo means trailer journey, and it's a Maori word, uh, also means imperfection. <laughs> I, Jess and I both spent time in New Zealand separately, but had a very, um, affinity for the country. And when well, we came back, we were trying to figure out the, the unique name for um, our endeavor, and uh, Makenyo came out.
1: Great. Well, tucker jess thank you so much for your insightful dive into the world of chocolate percentages quality it's clear that there's much more to chocolate than meets the eye and we appreciate you sharing your expertise with our listeners for those tuning in next time you pick up a chocolate bar you will be armed with the knowledge to make an informed choice and if you are ever in jacksonville yes you definitely want to go to the beach but don't forget checking out not, you know what i'll probably get that right as soon as we're done um and they're i guess what about a mile or so from from the beach just under a mile and across the street from the uh supermarket that sold the billion dollar lottery tickets true i know all right we'll be back after these messages Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN.
4: From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger in what goes up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last dive into the max rosen mysteries series today available now on amazon.com max rosen mysteries where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page brought to you by alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey one mystery at a time
1: your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
0: Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World, the place where we dive deep into the world of food, flavors and the stories behind them. Trust me, we have a treat for all of you food enthusiasts out there. Joining us is Dr. Johnny Drain, a renowned fermentation expert whose work has revolutionized the way that we think about flavors and food preservation. Alongside him, we have Arm Pack, the dynamic CEO of their company, Win Win Chocolates in London, a brand that's redefining the boundaries of chocolate making with this innovative approach. We will now explore the fascinating intersection of fermentation, flavor, and the future future of food. Thank you guys for joining us today. I'm excited to talk to you yet again.
5: Thank you for having us, Alan. Really excited to be here and share more about what we're doing.
1: So, I want to rewind a little bit for people that haven't had the opportunity to know anything about you or um, not read the story that I wrote about you in the spoon. So tell us briefly what what was the motivation for undertaking the effort to redefine how chocolate is made, uh, especially without cacao?
5: I'm happy to take a part of that question. so, you know, why I decided to embark on this journey to create a company with my co-founder. It really came down to examining how we as a society consume and produce food and actually look critically at those supply chains, at those food systems, and really examine in the light of climate change, in the light of, you know, better ethical practices, how do we do better? Um, And so for us, when we started looking deeper into these issues and these you know, ingredients that we know and love, you know, chocolate was really one of the few that really stood out to us. And we said, hey, the supply chain is broken. How we buy, purchase, eat it is actually not the most sustainable, nor the most ethical. So I'll also hand over to Johnny who can talk more about, you know, why he decided to start this as well.
6: Thanks. Ram. Yeah. I mean, there's also there's this this piece about the the sustainability and environmental credentials and and the the ethics of chocolate, but uh, as a as the kind of food scientist part of the business, um, there's also this more fundamental question of like exploration of flavor and why do things taste the way they taste, and so. Uh, there's all of these, there's the kind of the mission elements of our company, but there's also a very playful um, element of like, why not explore why chocolate tastes like chocolate? And why not try to see if you can create profiles that remind us of chocolate from ingredients that are not cocoa pods?
1: Now, I recall in our first conversation,
6: you spoke about your
1: background growing up in the Cadbury company town. Tell us a little bit about that. I recall you speaking of the of the aroma that you would uh, remember.
6: Yes, yeah, so I grew up in a, what's now a big city called Birmingham, second biggest city in the UK. And a suburb of that is called Bourneville. And Bourneville was a workers village set up by the Cadbury's family, where they had this giant chocolate factory and that chocolate factory still exists there. Um, they were Quakers, so it means that they didn't drink the, the Cadbury family. So they meant they they prohibited any pubs from this this village this Bourneville village so if you go to Bourneville you can't there's no pubs there which is kind of somewhat unique anyway after my high schooling I went to art college um for one year and it was in this this suburb called Bourneville so as we you know passed from um different class to class we would have to step out onto the street and some days you could smell the wind was blowing in the right direction you could smell these roasted cocoa beans and that is a a deep and profound um experience. And I suppose I even prior to that, I loved chocolate and grew up eating chocolate. There are naysayers out there who say that cabbage, you know, who would scoff at the idea that cabbage chocolate is real chocolate. But anyway, if we ignore that question, um it's a it's a beautiful smell and and kind of wild and stays with you. I want to circle back around to the reaction from the um
1: longstanding chocolate companies. But in your bio, and I know when speaking with you, you are a master fermenter. So number one, what is a
6: master fermenter? And how did you become one? Good, good question. Um, so I, I studied I'm a scientist, really, but I, and I studied typically physics and chemistry, so not biology, but fermentation is is the the process or set of processes behind you know, beer and wine and chocolate and coffee and cheese and butter, vinegar, all of these delicious things that are often the, maybe not the biggest thing on our plates or in our bowls, but certainly the thing that's bringing a lot of the the punch of the flavor. And I fell down this rabbit hole of fermentation when I was working at a very famous restaurant called Noma in Copenhagen, uh, and I was researching butter there, and that initiated this interest and passion for fermentation. That was almost 10 years ago now, and since then, I've you know essentially dedicated much of my life to that and become this expert and i used to do a lot of consultations for other restaurants and food groups and and um and teaching doing a lot of education around fermentation and a, a potted description of what fermentation is, is is that it's cooking with microbes so instead of toasting a piece of bread we cook with microbes we transform foods using uh yeasts and bacteria and molds <laughs>
1: Um, that raises a question. We we had a show a couple of weeks ago about fermentation um, and probiotics. Does chocolate contain any living probiotics?
6: Chocolate typically does not contain any living probiotics because chocolate is heated when it's processed. Um, they would be they would be pasteurized. Essentially, they would be killed. However, there are people. There's a uh, there's a lift. A Lithuanian chocolate company, whose name uh, escapes me right now, they were making a probiotic chocolate that had some kefir culture in But it's very uncommon, uh, you know, most chocolate is sterile. Actually, you know, chocolate has a a very long shelf life, which is sort of advantageous if you're going to run a chocolate business.
1: Now, when we first spoke, um, we talked about the substrate or the ingredient that you use to start the process and that you were using a particular form of barley, Um, how did you come across that? And are are there other substrates that you have begun to work
6: with since then? Yeah, I can can take that one as well. Um, We work with a whole range of substrates and ingredients, we have a few rules um, of of what guides us to, to working with whatever we choose to work with. And that's that obviously, You know, our thesis is that a lot of the world's cocoa is grown in ways that are unethical and unsustainable. So we need to work with ingredients that have, you know, transparent supply chains and are produced ethically and sustainably. Beyond that, there's very little that constrains us. And so we're interested in in anything that we can um, tease the same flavor compounds that are within the average bar of chocolate that you would buy, tease those flavor compounds out typically when people speak of chocolate they uh, you know they say that there's anywhere from sort of 50 to 500 important flavor compounds so that are giving that taste and aroma uh, and so we try to find those in other places in nature so yeah we work with uh, barley and the other hero ingredients that we're championing and um, that are you know sustainable and actually have very um flexible and broad um potential when it comes to trying to tease these chocolate flavors out are carob. So C-A-R-O-B, not carrot. And carob grows all around the Mediterranean um, Sea. If you start at the tip of Portugal and swim all the way around and end up in Morocco, you'll have sort of seen about 90% of the world's carob trees. Um, And we also work with oats. Um, But these are the three hero ingredients we work with. And through this sort of alchemy, um, which is our special source. This is our kind of IP. We have found ways to tease out these chocolatey flavors and notes from these three ingredients. Aram, let me ask you this.
1: Um, you spoke of sustainability and environmental impact. Um, a, tr- a huge amount of chocolate comes from Africa. And I know that the the conditions and the uh, business impact on the growers is is pretty harsh but when you come up with an alternative, how do you help those people uh, and maintain, you know, their livelihoods?
5: That's a great question, Alan. So, you know, let's examine that just a little bit. 70 to 80% of the entire world's cocoa supply actually does come from West Africa. And has such like a narrow growing condition, you know, plus minus 10 degrees of the equator that, you know, we are now seeing quite a lot of impact to supply. Why is that? Well, it comes down to climate change. You know, we have diminishing growing areas, you need to deforest more. And it's also simply just harder for farmers to grow chocolate. They need more fertilizers, they need more water, they need better land. So, you know, even for farmers themselves, like, they're finding it difficult to match the profits that they had, say, 10 years ago, even last year. So, Given this condition, you know, we have to critically examine us as a whole, the consumers, the industry, is what we're doing sustainable for the long run? Are we still going to continue to see 6% growth in the chocolate market? Because the, the basic question is, can we still grow it? So off the back of that, you know, we have diminishing farmer profits, diminishing supply, and... We have to think creatively, how are we even going to meet this supply and demand going forward? And so that's why we believe that we need to come up with different pillars of solution that say we love chocolate and we want to continue consuming it for the future. But we recognize that it's simply not possible to do it in the current system today and with the current growing methods. So what we believe, Alan, in a nutshell, is that we are one of many different solutions. we have third party certifications, we have better growing methods for cocoa, we have better paid farmers. And then when you look at the mass market chocolate pillar, I think one thing we can all agree on is that that is not sustainable. And that's the pillar that we wanna tackle at Winman Food Labs, which is like making an affordable, delicious, cocoa-free chocolate that fits there. And we can then redistribute resources so that we can focus on creating a better chocolate that everyone can enjoy.
1: Definitely. So as a very, very, very amateur chocolate maker myself, I was really excited to know that um, the actual chocolate making process that you use to create the final product is exactly the same as you would find in any kind of chocolate producing situation. The difference and one of the things that I think is really cool is that you're able to kind of alter or improve the characteristics of the resulting product. How do you change that in terms of nutrition, fat, flavor, sugar, calories, et cetera?
6: Yeah. So, you know, there's the, the classic adage of, um, of of not reinventing the wheel. And I guess we, we took that to heart and um, there's sort of f- more contemporary fields of design you know, bio um biodesign and biomimicry where your your you know the thesis is to, to sort of copy what happens already in nature. And um, you know, that's what we really have done. And actually when you go to to visit um cocoa farms, that first important step, that fermentation of the cocoa bean happens spontaneously. It happens um on the you know, sometimes in piles on the forest floor or sometimes in in boxes um but we really took that to heart and and there's so much that we love about chocolate that we didn't we only wanted to change the the bad bits really um so we copy that arc of you know cocoa bean gets fermented fermented cocoa bean gets roasted roasted cocoa bean gets processed mixed with sugar and fats we copy that arc we've taken inspiration from that we've just changed the materials and of course there are some subtle differences within that process for us but really Within that process, um we have lots of places to play around um there's lots of space for innovation, so um you know that why eating chocolate is such a wonderful experience is twofold. one, there is the flavor which I spoke about early, but also there is the 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 fat you know chocolate melts in your mouth, it melts just around body temperature that's because cocoa butter has these very special properties, and that's a big part of why chocolate is so magical and fascinating and satiating and delicious. So we've had to explore other sustainable uh, vegetable fats because we we don't want to use cocoa butter. Um, So we use, for example, uh, things like shea also grows in West Africa. That's one of the ways that we can feed into and support economies and and communities that might have traditionally uh, relied on, on growing cocoa. So there's the fat matrix, which is a big part of our story and where some of that innovation um, comes from. But also that we have this whole palette of uh, of other ingredients, three of which I mentioned earlier, um, where we can tease out these different flavors. And we have um, various different technical um, devices where we can analyze the fingerprint of what flavors we're producing and tune it to make sure that we're matching that of a particular chocolate bar as closely as possible. So
1: what's been, you you talked about Cadbury and your early days, what's been the reaction from some of the major chocolate producers, many of whom are in Europe, probably, you know, the best?
5: There's been a lot of interest from those companies because, you know, they're at the forefront of many of the issues that they know, which is, you know, deforestation, carbon emissions, and labor practices. So we have actually seen a lot of them come to us directly because they also want to understand what is impacting their business and what are the new solutions that could potentially disrupt their business models, right? Or where they could say, this would help us reach some ESG goals that they've been communicating and they want to hit. So in terms of the reaction, I would say overall, it's been very positive. You know, people want to change, companies want to change. Um, And it It remains to be seen, you know, who will be the first mover in this regard as to really adopting um, our solution as a mass market ingredient.
1: Interesting. Now, I I, last time we spoke, I knew that you can't, you you couldn't ship your chocolate outside of of the UK. Is that still the case?
5: Well, our chocolate outside. There's no regulations around that, actually. Yeah that's what I wanted to
1: ask you. Are there, you know, regulations or health, uh, you know, global uh, governmental health issues that you need to adhere to?
6: There are, um, yeah, there are some. Uh, I I think with that shipping it was just that we um we, we had, you know, we we've, we've we've carried some in in lots of our suitcases so um I'm in France at the minute. I just dropped off some to a restaurant in Paris. We shipped it to the US, South Korea, etc um but there are definitely legal limits around the definition of chocolate so what we cannot say and and we have no intention of doing is call our product chocolate um but that that naming convention uh, is very strict and we don't want to impinge upon that in terms of are there any other restrictions actually because of this let's call it kind of more holistic approach technological approach um that we've adopted from the very outset that idea of like you know how you make chocolate already is 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 beautiful and wonderful and we've borrowed from the methods and techniques within that rather than using um things like precision fermentation uh, or synthetic biology which are other approaches that people in the food tech space are using because we've we've not chosen to go down those parts actually we don't have any regulatory hurdles so we're free to sell um, our cocoa-free chocolate or cocoa-free choc in any um, domain or jurisdiction anywhere anywhere in the world. The biggest um, the biggest problem is just that at the minute we're we're chasing our tails to grow and we have lots of people messaging us saying you know when will you be selling the product here and we're trying to um, you know keep as many people as happy as possible.
1: So if I wanted to go to one specific place where I could be guaranteed to find your chocolate. Would that be somewhere in London or or is it through, you know, online ordering? Tell our audience, you know, who, who I'm sure at this point wants to sample win-win chocolate, where could they find it?
5: Yeah, so there's a couple outlets in London that you can find win-win chocolate. You know, there's a bar called Lioness that is currently our chocolate is in a cocktail. It's delicious. Go try it. Um, in terms of, you know, wider availability, we are actually working on a consumer launch and also working with other retailers and other large companies whose names I cannot release right now. But basically what that means is that our product will be available to the wider public.
1: I've run out of time. I had so many more things to discuss. We're gonna have to have you folks back. We've been speaking with Dr. Johnny Drain and Arum Pack of Win Win Chocolates. We will be back after this message. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
4: From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner, comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In what goes up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today, available now on Amazon.com max rosen mysteries where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page brought to you by alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey one mystery at a time
1: opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness
0: Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now,
1: back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I am your host, Alan Weiner. Before we move on, I wanted to offer a special thanks to our guests, Jen Dybel and Tucker Wan of Jacksonville Beach's McKenna Chocolates and Dr. Johnny Drain and Aram Pack of Win-Win in London. And before we kind of all go overseas to try to find the uh, Win-Win chocolate or have a chocolate cocktail at the Lioness, wherever that is, um, a few more things on my mind about chocolate. If you're interested in sampling some great chocolate that you can either buy for yourself or bring home for guests, one of the best places to do that is in the airports. Now airports, particularly in Europe and the four that I've been to that have um, chocolate shops that allow you to sample as well as purchase. Obviously Charles de Gaulle in Paris, um, not only do they have chocolates, they have macarons, and um, they're they're a little bit more stingy about the samples than some of the other airports, but an amazing array of chocolates. Now in Italy, and we recent have experience with this at the airport in Venice, VENCHI, V E N C H I chocolate is is just unbelievable, and they're very generous with their samples, and um, you know great stuff to bring home for yourself and um for guests now you have to remember and and i found this on the tsa website uh if for some reason you're bringing liquid chocolate home uh it, it has to follow the same rules in terms of you know the amount of ounces that you could bring on i think that's interesting and then of course there's belgium one of the chocolate capitals of the world and there's a couple brands there that you definitely want to look out for. One is called Leonidas, I believe, L-E-O-N-I-D-A-S, and Newhouse. And I recall last year running through the airport uh, in Brussels, we were able to um, stop at a couple shops and just kind of grab some chocolates. And there's also some shops there that carry everybody's chocolate. And then as you might imagine, the... Um, gigantic airport in Dubai, United Arab Emirates has pretty much everything, including all kinds of chocolate. Now, as I did last week, um, I have a poem about chocolate. I did not write this poem. My good friend, Chat GPT did, so you'll know who to blame or thank if you like it or don't like it. Here goes. In a world where sweetness reigns, A tale unfolds in cocoa lanes. Chocolate, the hero, dark and bold, a luscious story yet untold. From cacao trees where it was born to artisan hand, its form reborn. Milk and dark or whites embrace. Each a chapter in this taste space. Truffles dance in a velvet room while bars and wrappers find their bloom. Nibs and chips, a scattered dream in cookies cakes a dessert team. Oh, the alchemy of tempering's art, a science meeting a lover's heart. Melting slow on a tongue's warm bed, a symphony of flavors in each taste bud spread. Yet, innovation takes the stage, a new act in chocolate's age, not from cacao, but still a star, a novel treat from lands afar. So here's to chocolate, Old and new, a timeless love forever true. In every form, it steals the show, a delectable journey, in each cocoa glow. I think that's pretty fun. Um, before we wrap up, um, I want to talk about our upcoming shows. Now, I really, really think it's important for the audience to kind of tell me what they like, what they don't like, and perhaps topics that they might be interested in. So here are some of the things that we have coming up over the next several weeks. Um, This weekend, um, hopefully, weather permitting, we will be doing a foraging tour in Asheville, North Carolina, or just outside of um, Asheville, North Carolina. And you could see a little bit more about it uh, in a um, documentary, not geo program, where Gordon Ramsey went foraging in that area. Um, Also pet food, yeah, pet food. Uh, We talked to Sharon Falconer, Dr. Sharon Falconer about the future of pet food, Um, alternative protein, which we talked about once before, food waste, hunger in the world, and a new generation of food halls. Now, keep in mind, as always, the audience is crucial to the future of Food Forward. I want to hear from you, don't be shy. You can email me at Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at foodforwardradio.com and or follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And as I said at the beginning of the show, hopefully by next show, we will have in place a really cool website, which will have resources and um, artifacts from the shows and all kinds of things. So feeding your curiosity one bite at a time for food forward. This is Alan Weiner. until we meet again.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of food forward. We hope we've given you some insights into the wide world of food until we talk again, have a wonderful week.